morning, all you beautiful people. How did you do with uh, your Thanksgiving activities that I gave you last week? Yeah. Did anybody stick with it? Yeah? Good, good. Well, um, I, I hope that you enjoyed those activities last week. Um, because we're going to get down to business this week. I want you to get your Bibles out. We are going to tackle some passage of Scripture today, and uh, we're going to dive right in. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of uh, a lot of stories. It's not going to be a lot of uh, dancing around. It's not going to be a lot of videos. It's not going to be a lot of. We're just going to go right straight to the Bible and look at what God says about some things. We are in the middle of a of a series entitled Church Blueprints, and uh, we're we're trying to figure out exactly what the church should look like. And as we search God's word for how we should live our lives and how we should organize the congregation, how we should organize the church, we want to once again aim for that bullseye. Nobody shooting a target aims for the edges. They aim for the bullseye and that's what we're after this morning. We want to aim for exactly what God wants out of our lives. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you've got an app, find it. It's in the T's in the New Testament. If you've got a, uh, an old paper Bible, which is awesome. I love seeing paper Bibles. And especially paper Bibles with highlights in them and little tabs and all that kind of stuff. I love seeing that. It's a beautiful thing. Get those out. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want, we're going to jump right down to verse 13 um, to get some justification for what I'm about to um, put you through this morning. <laughs> Verse 13 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Did you find it? You there? You with me? Verse 13 says, Until I come, Paul's talking to the young Timothy, who is an evangelist in the book of in the book, in the town of Ephesus. Paul is explaining to Timothy what he is supposed to do. Look what he's supposed to do. Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Ta-da. That's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do right now. We're going to dive into Scripture and we're going to devote ourselves to some preaching and teaching. Now, the rest of this, we are going to cover from 1 Timothy chapter 4 to 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 16. We're going to cover a lot of Scripture today. We're going to dive in and find out exactly what, we, what God wants us to do. We're talking about putting godliness into action. First, we're going to define what godliness is, and then we're going to figure out how to put it into action. All right? You with me? No sleeping today, right? All right. You've got to elbow those people that start falling asleep. Well, it's not going to be boring. You're going to love this stuff. This is good stuff. Paul's telling Timothy exactly what, what needs to happen here. So read with me. First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to back up to verse 7. All right? Back up to verse 7. I'm reading now the NIV. So if you have the opportunity to switch in your, in your Bible app to the NIV, you're going to be able to follow word for word. All right? But any Bible you've got is going to work just fine. You can follow along. First Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 7. It says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope 
in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Before we go any farther, let's look to God in a word of prayer. God, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for uh, Timothy accepting this letter from Paul and applying it in the church in Ephesus. God, I thank you for allowing us to have these words that we can apply to ourselves as well. God, as we try to become the church that you want us to be, the bride of Christ that you want us to be, God, help us to change things within our own hearts and our own minds today to make us be more like what you want us to be. God, this whole idea of godliness, God, help us to grab a hold of it and hold on for everything that we've got. We know it's going to take some work. We know it just doesn't happen automatically. But God, we know that it lasts. I pray that you'll bless this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to get your Bibles out or keep your Bibles out. And I want you to keep them turned to this page right here, 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to do some highlighting with me. All right? If you've got a paper Bible, get your highlighter out or your underliner out. If you've got an app that lets you highlight in it, figure out how to put highlights in. If you've got an app that doesn't let you highlight, throw that one in the trash and get one that lets you highlight. All right? I want you to highlight some words with me. We're going to go up to verse 7. About the 10 or 12th word in, maybe it's the 4th or 5th from the end of the verse, it says... Train yourself to be godly. I want you to highlight the word train. Down in verse 10, there's a couple of words here I want you to highlight. That is why we labor and strive. I want you to highlight the word labor and the word strive in verse 10. We drop down to verse 13, and I want you to highlight the fourth word in in verse 13. It's devote. Devote yourself go down a little bit further the first couple words of verse 14 do not neglect i want you to highlight underlight do not neglect verse 15 look at the second word in diligent i want you to highlight diligent underline that word the very last word of that verse progress i want you to highlight underline that word progress and then first word in verse 16 watch as you read through these words that we just highlighted, train, labor, strive, devote, do not neglect, diligent, progress, watch, oh, I forgot, persevere. The, the, the persevere there in verse 16, don't forget that one. What does it sound like from these words? Does it sound like we can just sit back, relax, chill out on the couch and uh, enjoy this beautiful life that we call Christianity? It doesn't does it being a Christian doesn't come naturally we have to put some work in to it we have to work at it to get something accomplished 
So in the attempt to define what this whole godliness thing looks like, I want us to realize that, number one, godliness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. None of us are naturally godly. We have to strive to put these things into practice. As you can see from the words that we just highlighted, it's not going to be an easy job. It takes some responsibility on our part. We really have to work at it. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, it says, There is much more we, could, uh, we would, would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. Paul had the same problem with this church, these Hebrew churches. He says in verse 12, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. I don't know about you, but... I feel like the longer I'm a Christian, the longer I strive to be more like Christ, I have a tendency to get a little relaxed. I just get relaxed. I'm less diligent. I look for loopholes. I, I feel rebellion inside of me, building up at times. I'm glad I'm the only one with this problem because it's really awful. Paul's telling Timothy that we have to do something. It's not just going to happen naturally. Colossians chapter 2, he tells the Colossian church as well. He says, and now just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught. And you will overflow with thankfulness. Ah, Imagine that. Oh wait, we talked about that last week. There's going to be some thanksgiving going on because we're rooted and grounded in the faith. Godliness is not going to happen naturally. It's not going to happen naturally. It's not just going to happen. Godliness is having the character and attitude of God. How's that sound? Does that sound easy or does that sound difficult? Having the character and attitude of God. Would you say if you came in contact with someone, would you say that they would pin those statements on you? Is that something that they would say about you if they wrote an article, for instance, about who you are and what you're about? This person, this young lady, this young man, this older gentleman had the character and attitude of God. That's what we're after this morning. That's what we're after. It's not just going to happen. And secondly, godliness is the only thing that lasts. First Timothy 4 and verse 8. You got your Bibles open to First Timothy 4 still? Look at verse 8 through 10. It says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It lasts forever. Godliness can last. You see, I have this, I have this perfect body. Don't you all agree I have a perfect No, I don't. I don't have a perfect body at all. I haven't moved into it yet. This bubble that I live in now is just temporary. Physical training is valuable. And eating healthy is valuable for a little bit. But godliness lasts forever. Godliness is going to take us from here on for, for, a, for, for an eternity. 
It's not just for the next 20 years. It's for the next 200 years. It's for the next 20,000 years. What are you doing today that's going to last more than 10 years? Some of you might hope that your job is going to last 10 years. Some of you might hope that your, your role as a father or your role as a parent or your role as a grandparent might last for 10 years. Maybe 20, maybe 30. But what are you doing now that's going to last 200 years? What are you doing now that's going to last 2,000 years? Godliness is what's going to get you there. Godliness is what's going to matter. We lived through Black Friday. Most of us did. I'm not seeing any, uh, I didn't have any funeral service eulogy requests in the last couple days. Do you have this place in your house where all of your treasures that you found on Black Friday have landed? Does anybody have that spot? Maybe it wasn't Black Friday, but maybe some of you started to collect some Christmas gifts, right? You start to collect them, and you haven't gotten the wrapping paper out yet, and so they they collect in this one spot, right? Anybody have that spot? Yeah, you always have that spot? I have this spot. It's just to the side of my nightstand. There's this place there. And um, for some reason, it's the collection spot for gifts. Gifts that haven't been given yet. And wouldn't it be a shame if... The corner of the house, there, there's the hole right above where it's stored, and it's kind of weird. There's a hole there. And once in a while, I'll lay in bed at night, I'll look at that hole like, mm, is, that, is that a spider? Is that a no, it's just a hole. There's a hole there. And I always wonder, what, what would happen if just a whole bunch of moths just came flowing down in there and just ate all that stuff that's on the floor? Or what if, what if the gutter started leaking or the eaves started leaking? It just ruined everything that was there. All my treasures that I just found, what if they just got ruined? What would you feel like if your treasures got ruined? That one thing, or maybe there's a group of things that you highly value in your house. What if they just got ruined? What would happen? How would you feel? James chapter 4 verse 13, it says, Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? What do you, uh, how do you know what it'll be like? Your life is like a morning fog. It is here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. James chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Where are you laying up treasures? Does your bank statement reflect that your priorities are in the right place? Do you give a tithe and an offering? You know what? God promises that, that 90%, the, the 90% that he lets us keep will go much further and be much more enjoyable than if we try to live on all of it. Did you know that? It's so much easier living on the 90% than it is trying to get by on all of what God has given. Godliness is what lasts. Where are you laying your treasures? It's not our 401k. It's not our retirement. 
It's nothing in this physical life. Godliness isn't just going to happen. And secondly, godliness is, is going to last. And third, godliness will cost you something. Godliness will cost you something. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16, he says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? Paul tells Timothy in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 4 there, he says, Give your complete attention to these matters. Don't you feel like the world is full of distractions? Constantly pulling your attention here and there and everywhere. Paul's telling Timothy, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. God wants to see our progress when it comes to godliness. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and for the salvation of those who hear you. Who's listening to you? There's several. There's many that you're leading. Whether you like it or not, you're leading them and they're listening to you. God tells us to throw our whole hearts into this. Complete dedication. Cameron and Colton ran cross country this past fall. Is it fall? Yeah, fall. And uh, it was very important. The coaches gave them very strict rules about what they ate, about how they, how they, you know, what they did, how they slept, all these kinds of things. And I think it's the same way in anything you want to be successful at. You find that in order to be successful at any one of these things, you need to eat well, right? In order to have sustainability and to have the greatest impact, you need to eat well. What are you putting in your body is going to help you respond properly when you're out there on the track or on the, on the course or you're smashing heads with somebody with a football helmet on or whatever you're doing. It's the same thing with our Christian lives. There's got to be a place where you fill up on God's word. Being here should not be the only time you're filling up on God's word. There's got to be some filters in this life as well to keep out those, those bad things that Satan wants to put in your head. Those, uh, those spiritual Twinkies that he's trying to, you know, stick in there without your attention. You've got to have somebody checking your history. You've got to have somebody seeing what sites you've been visiting. Ladies, it's a novel. It's a daytime television. Comparing your life with everyone on Facebook, it's a comparison you're making with others around you. The thoughts you're having about what's, your, what's, what's important and what's not. Are your thoughts with those little kids that God blessed you with? Or are they on the next two networking opportunities at work? God wants us to pay attention. He wants us to eat well. He wants us to put good things in our, in our hearts and minds. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. We've got to eat well. We've also got to focus well. In verse 15 there, First Timothy says, Give yourself wholly to them. Be diligent in these matters. 
We have to focus well. 20 years from now, my kids are not going to care if the Broncos won the Super Bowl. They're not going to care if I shot the biggest bull elk in the state. They're not, it's not going to make any difference to them if I was the most well-respected minister in town. Their relationship with God and relationships with others are largely dependent on their dad's diligence to godliness. We need to focus well. Where's your focus? What are you concentrating on? And next we need to train well. Verse 14 says, don't neglect your gift. God gave Timothy a gift. God's given each of us amazing gifts and talents. Well, what are we doing with those talents? Are we training? Are we making those talents better? Are we, are we developing those or are we wasting them? What are we doing with what God has given us? We need to eat well. We need to focus well. We need to train well. 2 Chronicles 16 and verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. It's going to cost us something. It's going to require of us some attention. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to do something about it. Five questions to ask yourself. This is on your bulletin. It's also on the screen. Five questions to ask yourself out of 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12. This is the passage that says, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but be an example in four or five areas. I think there's five areas there, and here they are. Number one, ask yourself this question. Do I want everyone to know what I said today? There's your speech. Number two, do I want everyone to know what I did today? There's your life. How did I treat the unlovely today? Your love. Not just for those who love you back, but for those who don't. For those who are difficult to love. How did I treat the unlovely today? Number four, how did I handle my difficulties today? There's your, there's your faith. Faith is tested in difficulties. Number five, were my motives and thoughts pure today? Your purity affects your godliness. Godliness doesn't just happen. And, and in defining it, we've realized that it's, it's the only thing that's going to last. It's the only thing that's going to be here for an eternity. It's the only thing that's going to get you through. And it's going to cost you something. So to finish defining godliness, we have to understand that godliness starts with a daily decision. Every morning when you wake up, you have to decide, okay, I am going to be more like God today. Today I'm going to do my very best to have the character and attitude of God. Verse 15 and 16 of that 1 Timothy 4 passage, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into them. It's going to, it's going to start with a daily decision. God can use you when you make godliness a priority. All right, back to brightening your Bibles. We have a gap between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Do you see it in your Bibles there? There's a little gap there, right? Maybe it's small, maybe it's large. Tell me, is it big or small in your Bible? Is it small? Is there any room to write in there? Okay, what I want you to do is I want you to write godliness in there. Write the words godliness between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Write the word godliness and draw an arrow up to the verses that we just covered. Verse 7 through 16. And in the same spot there, right, small enough so you can get both these in. Right underneath that word godliness, I want you to write godliness in action. And I want you to draw an arrow down 
to verses 1 through 16 of chapter 5. I don't think this passage of scripture should have been separated by a chapter uh, switcheroo right there in the middle. I think from chapter 4 and verse 7 all the way through 5 and verse 16 should have been chapter 4. But I didn't write, you know, I didn't, I didn't do it. So you know. we just got to deal with what it is. So here we go. We've, we've defined godliness. Now we've got to figure out how to put it into action. All right? This passage of scripture from chapter um, 5 and verse 1 all the way through 5 and verse 16, this is a very strange passage of scripture. It's, it's not one that we just choose to pull a lot of stuff out of. I, I searched many places, many archives, many sermons, many, uh, many commentaries, many all kinds of things written about this passage of scripture. And there's just nothing really that that works for me. Just nothing that just really grabbed me and said, okay, this is what we gotta this is what we gotta talk about. So as I was thinking about it this week and as I kept going through it and going through it and going through it, it's it's really not so much about putting widows on a list and making sure we're taking care of and which widow goes on that list and how come that widow didn't and this widow didn't and because of their age and because of I don't think it's about that. I think this passage of scripture is about how we are meeting needs. As a congregation, as a church, as a person, as an individual, how are we meeting needs? Godliness in action is what we're talking about. All right? Now, we are going to read, because I want you to get a good grip on what's going on here. And because of verse what verse 13 said of chapter 4, what's it say? 13 of chapter 4. It says, devote yourselves to what? The public scripture reading. That's what we're going to do. We're obeying scripture right now. Do you feel good about yourself? Yes. You should. Right. First Timothy, you guys, are, you guys are falling apart on me. Come on. Come on. First Timothy chapter 5. Let's start reading. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him as, as, as respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead, even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their, their relatives, especially those of their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Verse 9. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and who is faithful to her husband. She must be well respected by everyone because of the good she has done. Has she brought up her children well? Has, or as, has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list because their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ and they will want to remarry then they will be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy and spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business and talking about things they shouldn't. 
Verse 14. So I advise those younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their homes. Then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them. For I'm afraid that some of them have already gone astray and, and now follow Satan. If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. You got that, right? So we got all these widows in the church, and we just got exactly, we know how exactly how to take care of them now, right? I don't think that's why it's here. I think the reason it's here, it's not to organize widows on a list. Why do we need to talk about that? What do we need to pull out of this? Is this something we can just sit down and contemplate where we're just going to really build extreme scriptural knowledge and understanding on these passages of scripture? No. This is a do passage. I call it a do passage. This is where we're going to put our godliness in action. One of the neediest groups is widows back then and now. So what's this all about? I think this passage is about meeting needs. Evidently, the church in Ephesus had lots of widows, and it was becoming a problem, so Paul addressed it. We made a decision to move into this building. And the reason we moved into this building was to meet needs of people around us. That's the whole point of moving in this building. We need to put godliness in action. Will we be able to see godliness in our, in our, in our lives? And we will only be able to see godliness in our lives by the way we handle spiritual needs. I think this passage of scripture is talking about the spiritual needs that, are, that need to be met within the local congregation. James 5.19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back uh, from wandering will save that person from death and, and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. That's what we're talking about. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 talks almost exactly the same way. If, if another believer is overcome by sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly restore that person. Don't be hypocritical about it. Clean your house first. But also realize that your ability to help others with their spiritual needs is not dependent on your spiritual perfection. Did you hear me? Realize that your ability to help others with their spiritual need is not dependent on your spiritual perfection. You can help others spiritually. It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey and your spiritual walk. You can benefit others. Ephesians 4 and verse 15 says, Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of, the, of his body, the church. We need to... We need to meet spiritual needs. And we'll be able to see godliness in action by the way we meet those spiritual needs. We'll also be able to see godliness in action, number two, by the way we see and treat each other as family. One, verses 1 and 2 there. Look at it with me. Remember what was covered there in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5? Younger men as brothers, older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. It's family life we're talking about here. When I greet an older man, how do I treat that older man? I treat him like as if he's my dad. When I greet an older woman, how do I treat that older woman? I treat them with respect, just like they are my 
mother. There are young men in this room that often will go up and hug Robin. Why? Because she's just kind of like mom to some of them, right? That's just the way it is. We treat them like they're our mothers. We treat each other, brothers, like, like we're brothers, like other men in the church, younger men in the church, like they're brothers. And younger women as if they are sisters. We treat younger women as their sisters. Not like that, Jenna. We used to torment Jenna just a little bit. Well, what else are you supposed to do in the back seat of a Honda Civic? Not the nice big Honda Civic they make today. The little tiny one that would fit between these two rows right here. Um, we were in the back seat of that car from here all the way to Oregon and back. And it's, Jenna had to sit in the middle and naturally there's some torment going on. Now, what I'm talking about is protection. We need to protect our younger siblings and especially our sisters. Look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 27. It's on the screen or it should be eventually. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Wow, that sounds pretty extreme. That's intense. God wants us to treat our sisters, our, our sisters in Christ, ladies that we are around, younger women, as sisters. I'm raising Colton and eventually Corbin to have that warrior spirit. Not only to survive himself, but also to protect his sisters. If somebody starts messing with one of them, one of the girls, Colton is going to be there to protect them. We need to protect them. Guys, we should have that same spirit about every woman and, and girl around us. Even if they're only a day younger, we should treat them as sisters and protect them. And it's, it's our job to protect them. Even protect them from our own selfish thoughts, desires, and glances. Do you get where I'm going? Guys, we have responsibilities to keep our hearts and minds pure when we're dealing with younger women. Guys, we have responsibilities, but sisters, help a guy out. I understand what's fashionable and, and how the world wants to, to, to dress you and how, how the world wants to objectify you. God blessed me with a beautiful wife and she dresses fashionably with constant attention to modesty. And raising two girls is a constant battle to dress fashionably but remain modest. Big brother here talking to a bunch of little sisters. Help us guys out. Us guys are hardwired. We're hardwired a certain way and we're visually stimulated. That super fashionable outfit may attract more attention to your best body parts. But trust me, you don't want that kind of attention from a guy with the thoughts. You just don't want that kind of attention. Sisters, you want to be seen as more than just body parts. I believe there's a responsibility on the part of sisters and young women in what they wear. 
Proverbs chapter 7 in Old Testament in verse 10. It says, Then out came a woman to meet him, just like a prostitute, with what? With crafty intent. Does God really care about the intent in which you dress with? He does. Sisters, you have some responsibility in this area. Brothers, no matter what, what she puts on and, or doesn't put on, it's still your responsibility to guard your thoughts and actions. We're here to protect her, just like she's a sister. The church is where everyone should feel safe, should feel protected. The ladies can flourish in their Christian walks because they, they can feel safe and protected. They feel respected. Brothers can hang out with sisters and we aren't, we aren't caught up in bad thoughts. We'll be able to see godliness in the way we treat each other as family. Can we do that? Can we treat each other as brothers and sisters, as, as moms and dads? I think we can. Thirdly, we'll be able to see godliness in our lives by the way we, way we meet physical needs. And verse 3 all the way down through verse 16 kind of gives us an idea of what we're talking about and what, what what's, we're meeting physical needs. How do we meet the needs of those around us? It's, it's not about being the biggest or the best. It's not about, it's not about the, being the only. It's about meeting spiritual needs. It's about feeling safe in the family. It's about getting physical needs met, our own and others. I think the biggest roadblock to the church growth and to, to non-believers becoming Christians is those of us who are the bride of Christ not acting like it. We're not godly. We're not pursuing godliness in our lives. The world wants to feel safe and respected. They want to be treated like family. The world wants to have their physical needs met. We are either someone's hindrance or we are their greatest help. Which are you? Are you the one everyone knows for meeting needs? Are you the one known as the one who thinks of others' needs without ever seeking repayment? Are, are we known for having a wisdom beyond our years when it comes to spiritual stability and maturity? Proverbs 29, 7 says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. James 1, 27, Jesus, uh, Paul breaks it all down. Uh, he, he breaks it all down, and James writes here, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Godliness is going to be seen. It's going to be put into action by those who claim to be the Lord's church by meeting physical needs. And lastly, we need to prioritize our own family. Verse 8 says, But those who won't care for their own relatives, especially those in their own house, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Take care of your own. Live in harmony with each other. Isn't it funny how some families are just completely split apart and, oh, I haven't talked to my brother in 25 years and I've talked to my sister in, in 18 years and I haven't, I haven't seen my mom and dad for, you know, what is going on there? Folks, we need to live in harmony with, within our own families. We need to prioritize things so that, so that we can take care of our own. In John chapter 19, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what does he do? He looks down to his mother and to John. And he says to John, behold your mother. And he says to his mom, behold your son. What, is, what happens there? John takes his own, Jesus' mother home and takes him, her into his own house. 
and takes care of her. We need to take care of those around us. Don't enable them, but take good care of them. Verse 9 through 10. Look at verse 9 through 10 with me. It's kind of like a a checklist of what widows are allowed to be on the list. Right? You see it in verse 9 through 10? I think this is more of a checklist, not for necessarily the widows, but but for us. This is the, the final checklist that I want us to look at. It says a widow uh, who's put on the list proper support must be a widow who is at least 60 years. That's, we're not going to talk about that. You don't have to be 60 years old to be godly. But look at the rest of these. It says was faithful to her husband, was well respected by everyone because she was because of the good she has done. Ha, has, has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served others, believer, um, believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? I think this checklist applies directly to us. And we're going to end with this. Six guidelines for godliness. Are you ready? Here's some more questions for you. Number one, are you faithful to your spouse? Well, yeah, I haven't like slept around or nothing. No, we're going beyond that. Are you faithful to your spouse? Emotionally, physically, spiritually, are you faithful to your spouse? And if you're single, are you staying pure? Number two, are you known for your good deeds? When you come around, do people expect, do they have this expectation of, you know what, this guy is going to, this young lady is going to, this woman is going to do good for the situation? Number three, are you bringing up your children in the Lord? I don't care what child you're involved in or what, what person, what, what child's in your life that you're helping out. Maybe you are parent, a parent who is bringing up children. Are you bringing them up in the Lord? Are you making God and his church a priority? Number four, are you showing hospitality? Not just for the people you like, not just for family, but for outsiders and strangers. Are you showing hospitality? Number five, washing the feet of people, Lord's people. What are you, what are you doing to serve the church? I'm not asking you to wash my feet. What are we doing to serve the church, though? Ask yourself. Godliness comes in our service of the church. Number six, <clears throat> we need to be devoted to all kinds of good deeds. Be known for it. All kinds of good deeds. Godliness is a big deal. We should grab these ideas. We should run with them. We should let them bounce around in our head all week this week. Let's make changes in the way we think and the way we do things so that we can meet up to this criteria. We can answer these questions about whether or not we are being a good example. Godliness is important, and we need to put godliness in action. All right, now that was, that was brutal. That was like slam right through a whole bunch of passages of Scripture. But you know what? I think we can build on it. I think we can do something with it. I appreciate your attention. Most of you stayed awake. That was fantastic. I think there's some things here that Paul told Timothy that we can actually use. So let's do it. Let's put them into action. Let's pursue godliness in our lives. Thank you for your attention. I thank you for your presence and um, for being here with us. It's been a a good morning already. Uh, Kids singing and, and all the other great things that happen on a Sunday morning. Can't get this thing to stop. Stop it.
your mom's breakup and